Hey, Cypher. Yo, 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 yo. Before we set off this. Check, inc- check, check, check. No, no, I, we hear We, I got it. You sound fine. Check, check. One, Bef- before we set off this incredible one ep with the great uh-huh. Ed Lover. Um, right. Aren't we doing a live show soon? Okay. November the 9th. It comes right after the 8th. November yeah, the 9th. Sure. We're doing a show. A one ep is live for the New York Comedy Festival. Now, listen to me. I know you're thinking, well, you guys do hip hop. Why are you doing a comedy festival? It's a, it's a, it's a mashup. It's a crossbreed. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's a trans, trans genre show. Be careful because so. you're already associated with Dave Chappelle. So just <laughs> be so mindful. Look, New York Comedy Festival. There's some live podcasts happening. Of course, ours is in there. Juan Epp is live. We have Ricky Velez. He just dropped his special on HBO. Amazing. We got Jared Freed, an amazing, hilarious podcaster and comedian. Okay. We're going to figure out the hip-hop portion of it in a minute. I got some ideas. I don't want to tell you yet, but tickets are on sale. You got to get them early, thestandnyc.com. Or you can just go to our Instagrams. Got that link in the bio. There you go. And what time is it again, Billy? 8 p.m. 8 p.m. 8 p.m. November 9th, Juan Epp is and, live. And, we need all our Juan Epp goonies. And while we're at it, I, I don't get as many plugs in as Sir Plugs Lot over here, but I do want to mm-hmm. say tickets are on sale the night before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Eve, Styles mm-hmm. P, Crime Apple, uh, Flea Lord, Mayhem Loren. I just added my girl Vel the Wonder from the Real 8 album. Ooh. Cypher Sounds is going to be in the building. This is why I need a new graphic designer because I need to make a whole yeah. new flyer with all the names on it, a proper yeah, new flyer. Yeah, 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 but go yeah, get yeah. your tickets right now. And also that Saturday night in the DMV at the Fillmore, the same show, uh, minus Vel. I don't think Vel will be at the DC show. But go cop your tickets to that, all right? Hey, also, all the One Up fans, I see you at the shows. I see my One Up fans came through to Vermont. They Buffalo. did? They came through, I want bro. proof. They actually said they're one Eppers. one Epp fans coming through, and I appreciate it. Uh, I got another show November 3rd in Raleigh, North Carolina. Come through at Good Nights Comedy Club November 4th. Me and my friend Will Sylvans, we had the DC Improv. A lot of comedy Is shows, your mom going to go? Is your mom going to go to the Raleigh show? No, she lives in Charlotte. That's oh, far. Damn. Sorry. I already got my mom tickets to see Pitbull. And uh, Theo Vaughn. Oh, how about this? Started hit me up for tickets. But that's incredible. Pitbull. That's incredible. By the way, um, uh, Ballard, my dear friend Ballard, hit me up, and he said he's staying at the Rio in Vegas the whole weekend. You're there. Come through, Ballard. He's coming. I'm. He's coming through. He's definitely going to go through. Well, by the time this airs, I'm in Vegas. I'm in Vegas from October 25th to the 31st. Oh, that's all this weekend. Okay, this coming week. So, th- so, so if you're in Vegas you're in, this week, you're at the Rio. Yeah, this week. Uh, comedy Cellar. We don't have to say Rio. Just Comedy Cellar. Rio is a, it's a nasty establishment. <laughs> the nastiest. <laughs> so, the comedy cellar so I should be week. judging Ballard for staying near the Comedy Cellar is what you're saying. Is he staying in the Rio? I think he's staying in the Rio. Listen, here's the deal with Vegas. You catch a good price on a room. That's you it. Take it. You want to be out and about anyway. It doesn't matter. You're fine. The rooms are very spacious. They just haven't been updated since Prince was there in 1990. Right. Yo, my until they tore it down, my spot used to be the Sahara. I was in there. Sahara, and th- we're talking about years after it was anything good. Yeah. But I'd get I could get a room for $69, $79. I was there. Exactly. Why not? All right, let's get started uh, now, shall we? Hey, good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. Oh, and Scythe. Yes, sir. Oh!
Shouts to DJ Mark, the 45 King. But today, it's about our guest, the legendary Ed Lover on Ed the program Lover. on WANEP. What up, Ed? What's up, y'all? How y'all doing this morning? Man, we are uh, we are doing good, man. Uh, really, really pleased to have you on here, man. You've, we've, we've talked for years. Man, going all the way back to when we were up against you in the morning, we've talked about how, yes, great, it, how great it would be to have you on here and talk, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for asking. Um, I saw the other day, I was watching a live, man, where you were t- telling stories about your favorite, uh, you were talking about your favorite Biggie records, and yeah. just the little things, Ed, that this, Saif, the things that this guy says, as yeah. little just throwaway lines that he's saying, are just, <laughs> like, bro, there's almost no one who was more involved with everybody in the glory days of hip-hop than you ed would you like you were you were around everybody during all the years that we all loved so much so i was just like we got to get this guy on because you probably have stories sitting in your head that you don't even think about being stories they're just your life <laughs> it's just to me it's just like different interactions with people you know during that time and I guess they, in the long run, they become stories, but I, I never viewed them as just like actuals, you know, oh, this is going to be a story when it's yeah. all said and done. It was just things that happened during that time. But here's the thing about you, and this happens to me too, but not as much as you, Ed. There's big moments that happen. That we, I was there when Jay-Z and Biggie were on stage together at the Palladium. That's a big story, right? Right. And there's a famous picture where they're both wearing horrible-looking mango colored suits or whatever it is but that's a big story but then like we have these moments like where we were in the studio just chilling and like something happened like premiere played the sample of a beat that became blah 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 or you know what i mean so there's like we just been in it for so long right that if you just talk about normal interactions you're gonna hit upon something that was like wait what you were around for that, or you heard this, or oh, he was really going out with her. So like, yeah. there's big stories, and then there's just normal life. So, Saif, here's becomes... what I think we should. Here's what we should do with Ed. I want to okay. ask Ed for a little while about your story, just because I don't actually know. I don't know what your story was yeah, prior. We know the origin story. Yeah, the origin story, because I don't know your story prior to you on TV raps. And okay, and then also then Saif, what we should do is. We should just go down a list of some people who we're yeah. interested in and ask for Ed's personal history with that person well, when he remembers reason, first yeah. meeting them, et cetera, et cetera. Would that be cool, yeah. Ed? Yeah, that that works for me. It's all good. So, how did it start for you? What what is the hip hop? My my my, uh, my introduction to music came in in school, like a lot of other people. That's back when they cared enough about us to make sure that we had to take a music class in school. So I was always a uh, a person that loved music. So I started like everybody else with the, with that little flute, that little wooden flute that we the used recorder. to have back recorder. Yeah, we went from that, and then I started playing clarinet for a little while, and then I didn't think clarinet was such a a manly instrument. So I switched to trumpet, and I played trumpet for a very long time. And then once I played trumpet in school, there was a local band around my way by the name of Oasis 2 that was looking for a trumpet player. So they brought me in. We were top 40, top 40 band, like the youngest, one of the youngest top 40 bands in the city. Now, I'm, I'm an old what, dude. Queens? So, yeah, this is Queens. This is all over New York City. 
that's when you couldn't go into a night establishment anywhere, and especially any local place in New York that did not have a band. Even right. if you went to a, if you went to a club, there was always the band, and then there was always the DJ. Right. So we were like the youngest cats on the scene at that day that were really considered very good. Like I met Full Force before I knew that they were Full Force because we were all doing the same circuit of clubs. Mm. Right. And um, this is probably like 77, 78. How, how bold legged was Lou? Always bold legged, man. Always bold legged. Okay. Yeah, okay. always bold legged. Those are my guys from, from, from a long time ago, man. You know, when we were we were a young group, and then from there, we just kind of developed. You know, when you got a band of that size, it's like sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 13. Some you know, guys come in and go out and for, for different reasons. And I always just stuck with the guys that were the core of the group. And then from around my way in Queens, I was always known for, I've always known for rapping and for freestyling. I knew that I could, I could rap. I knew that, that much. But it was always the, the tear between me between hip hop and, and live music, and live music always seemed to went out until, time comes. We're looking for a record deal. We couldn't get a record deal. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're doing the other. And we and house music was hot. And I was always known for doing parodies. So we changed our name from Oasis and then we were the Function Freaks for a long time because we were really heavy into the funk. And then we became No Face. And that was what we were. It was me and, and Mark Sex and Shah. We were No Face. And no Face, okay. We, got, we actually had a deal with Def Jam. We had a label deal with Def Jam called No Face Records. And we put out Bitches With Problems was our group. And we signed Live Squad. Rest in peace to Big Stretch. We signed them to no face records because those are my guys from around the way um wow. and, and then when, once we get ready put our album out we had already put a single out on a different um label we redid what well, i rewrote house uh the jungle brothers girl i house you and i made it a dirty song called girl i hump you okay so yeah, we used to, right. so it actually it actually took off in the, in the house music club and we used to gig a lot off of that one record and um it just developed. And then when I got to MTV, MTV caught wind of what I was doing with No Face. Because No Face, we patterned No Face after the Two Live Group. The No Face is supposed to be the East Coast version of the Two Live Group. Like we was we had girls come out when we perform with pasties on their on they on their nipples. Like we was some wild boys. We wore ski masks and we just cause we were called no face. So we were wearing uh the old like Milmas, Scaris old wrestling mask yeah, yeah. and all that yeah we would do all of that so nobody knew who we were and especially in the beginning of MTV I wouldn't take we would never take our mask off to the end of the show and then we'd take our mask on and reveal that it's actually me the same guy from your own TV raps so right after we got our RAL Rush Associated label deal and Hype Williams did um the BWP video. We had to all sign off on Hype Williams. That's his first video he ever did. And um, MTV got one of it. It was something morally in the contract that I couldn't do that and do this. And that's how that's how it all started, man. I met Dre actually at the audition for you on TV Raps. Oh, wow. Really? I didn't know Dre. I didn't know Dre personally. I know I, I heard of what they were doing on WBAU. Yeah. And um, I knew about him a little bit about being the Beastie Boys DJ, but we didn't personally know each other at all. Oh shit! So the so the MTV thing was an audition. Yeah, it was it was an audition because they had Fab, right? 
what happened with the MTV thing is my best friend to this day, mother is huge in the Episcopalian church. Ted's father was big in the Episcopalian church. So to keep her son, Kurt calm, Kurt flirt, she used to take me with them on the religious retreats. And that's where we met Ted. And we were kids. Like we was like 14, 15 Ted years Demi? old. And I, yeah, that's how I wow. met Ted Demi. Wow. Yeah. And all through high school, we stayed cool. All through college, we stayed cool. So when I saw his name all over MTV as like, uh, you know, production assistant then associate producer and then producing. And then I saw the young TV rides he did with, with run DMC. And I saw his name on the, on the credits for that. And then I, when they did young TV rides with fat five Freddie and I saw Ted Demi, I started automatically bugging him about doing something on that show because I knew I knew hip hop and I knew that I loved it. And I knew, you know, what we like as a people, I was like, well, I could do a record review. I could do a movie review. Like hip hop has such a, great impact on pop culture period that we took a construction boot like the Timberland and made it a hip hop boot. Right. And it's like, almost like everything that we touch, we make it hip hop. So, you know, I just kept begging Ted. And then when they decided they wanted to do a young TV raps today, now the funny story behind that is fab didn't want to do the daily show because fab was directing videos, you know, fab was all into the New York city art culture and everything that he was doing. You know, he was, him and Basquiat was tighter than a knot, you know, and all of that. You know, he knew Andy Warhol and all of those cool, cool downtown people. He didn't want to be overexposed, he said, by doing a daily show. Right. So they had to find somebody to do the daily show. So Ted knew me. Um, Peter Doherty, God rest his soul, knew Dre from DJing with the BC Boys. And he called Dre in and they called me in for an audition. And Ted is the one that saw Laurel and Hardy and he put us together. Mm. What what year was this that the Daily Show started? 1978. No, 88. <laughs> 88. So, no, Fab started Fab started 88. We came on in 89. 89. Wow. Wow. And how So there was no did anyone else audition? Not nobody that was noteworthy at the time that I know of. I know just Ted saw Dre and he saw me and he just looked at us and was like, yo. And I was like, can y'all audition together? And I was like, yeah. I was like, Dre, where you from? And he was like, you know, he told me about, I knew he was from Westbury and stuff. I mean, like, what's your your ethnicity? And he was like, well, you know, my father and mom part Jamaican. And I was like, well, can you do a Jamaican accent? And he was like, yeah. So we just started doing a Jamaican accent together. And Ted put it on camera. And he took it to the higher ups. And he was like, since this is a studio show, we got Fab as a single guy going out on the road just one person singular i want these two people for the daily show and they was like well we got a thousand dollars we got a thousand dollars a week if they want to split a thousand dollars we can do it so we was like hell yeah (laughs) what was uh what do you remember the first day you remember walking in there to to do it with no it was not it wasn't the way it was now at that time mtv had different studios that they would run out. So there's a studio on um, 57th and, and 11th that we shot in. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember. I was very nervous. I didn't. I hardly looked at the camera the first day. Well, how would you know what to do? Like, was Ted just trying to coach you? Because you're you're you've been a performer yeah, in a band. No we didn't. We didn't. Was we, no didn't we knew what. Right. All, we, all our responsibility was this: come in and do the voiceover parts of it, right, and introduce videos. So Dre and I just started coming up with 
things to say and things to do. It was more, you know, like welcome to your own TV raps. Hey, we got this today. This is gonna be shown today. Blah blah blah. How you feeling, Dre? How you feeling, Ed? We was on camera like three times or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Got Yo, it. here go the video. Even when we said goodbye, it was over. You know, it was voiceover. Mm. When we say goodbye, I was like, see ya, see ya. And they used to put the big CEO on the screen. Mm -hmm. We weren't on camera that long, and then we started developing days. Well, today is exercise day, and today is this day, and today is food day. And I remember MTV sending us a memo telling us to stop eating on camera. Like, we had this, like, little corner in the studio that they had built out, and we didn't even have dress rooms. Dre and I had to step behind that big wall you saw and change our clothes for the next day. And we shot, we shot everything in the day. And the beauty of it was you didn't watch the videos. They put the videos in later. Right. So your job is just to lead to the video. And that's it. So at first, you guys we are, shot four, four episodes in one day. Or whatever we did five episodes in one five day. Five episodes. So Monday through Friday, all in one day. Which actually makes that, it makes that $500 a yeah. week a little bit more palatable. Because it's really just one day yeah. of work. One yeah, day. It, it was one it was one day of work. And I had a job. I worked for this, uh, school safety for New York City. I worked at Andrew Jackson High School, two blocks from my mother's house in Queens. And I kept that job. Frankly, how long did you keep that job? I kept that job for the first two and a half years of MTV. Wow. Now, we have a how, long, how long were you on your MTV raps? Six years. And, Six years, and when wow. did, at what point, if you started in 89, at what point did it start to become like, oh, shit, Ed Lover on the street? Um... I think when we went to when we went to an hour, because mm. when we first started, we were a half an hour. When we went to right. an hour, that's when the confidence was gained, and and you know we already pushing MTV for a contract, and um, we had the great Leo Cohen step in and and do what he did because we were being managed by Rush Associated, I mean like Rush Rush Management, and we just stepped in, man, and that's when it it when it really became real. I can tell you the first time it ever became real. Dre and I were hired to host the show in Detroit at the Joe Lewis Arena. And Too Short was on that show. There's a couple of people on there, but I remember distinctly it's the NWA were headlining that show. Easy E and NWA. And that's the famous scene in Oh, in the movie. Yeah. When the cops came. Yeah, the cops so came, like but it didn't happen. It didn't it did not even happen like that. They they took liberty with that. What hey, happened hey, was hey, it's a it's a it's a story. Yeah, you leave of course, them alone. It's a story. They made a beautiful movie. But what happened? <laughs> it's a great movie too. What happened with that was actually the cop. They were told not to do fuck the police, and Easy thought they weren't doing fuck the police also. And the cop threw an M80 on the stage and a pack of, and they threw firecrackers in the M80. I watched the cop like the, the shit. cop. What? Yeah, and thought so they thought somebody was shooting, so they ran off the fucking stage, and it was all this mayhem backstage with them, with the cops and Easy's arguing with them with Dre and them like y'all wasn't supposed to do that song. We agreed to do the song, not to do the song. It was just it was like a it was like a bunch of bullshit. But Dre and I hosted that concert, and when the guy did that was backstage with the microphone said, "Your host," and it's the first time I ever been like on the stage in an arena that big. And the guy was like, your host for the for this evening, uh, from your own TV raps today, Ed Love and Dr. Dre, and the people lost their fucking mind. I was like, oh wow. shit. I was like, yo, we, we're kind of like famous, dude, like for real. Wow. 
But you know, for Dre, it wasn't nothing because he had been DJing for the Beastie Boys on tour. Right. But for me, that was like, yo, dude, we are really like, people really know us from this shit. Yeah, that must have been a different experience for you altogether. To all of a sudden now, you're walking out on stages in front of that many people and people are cheering for you all of a sudden? Yeah. Yeah, people knowing who you are, people want your autograph and, you know, the little cameras with the... When you have to, you have to take them to the drugstore or, or the Walgreens or whatever and get the film developed. It was those pictures. It, it was just... It was that. And I was wow. like, wow. Uh, how... How how much did you and Dre like each other, and like how close did you guys become? We we've always had we've always had a bond that we love each other to death. No matter you know we're still close to this day. We don't have to talk every day, but when we talk, it's like you know we never stop talking. So we've always I've always enjoyed Dre, but we've always been able to not force like this super bond friendship that everybody thinks we're best friends. I've yeah. always had my friends and Dre's always had his friends, but we're yeah. still friends. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Because I, 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 being in a partnership. Yeah. Cause Saif and I know what it's like to get thrown exactly. together. It's a different kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, who being in a partnership sometimes could be a little, it could be a little tough, especially when you do morning radio, bro. Yeah. Oh, who are you telling? Y'all know that when you when you doing morning radio, you're actually kind of married to the people that you're doing radio with. Bro, me and Rosenberg get along so much better now because you know why? It's not five thirty a.m. It's so yo, it makes such a huge difference. Like Bro. jumping on here on a Sunday mid morning, it's like such a different experience than when we first met each other and we're walking in at five a.m. together. It that it's a tough it's tough to like anyone when you see them every day in that sense. Every single day at the worst hour possible. Absolutely. And then sometimes they get on your nerve and sometimes you get on their nerve and it's just it's sometimes it can be difficult. But when that magic happens, it happens, man. Oh yeah, when we had magic. Did you ever Shut up, did you bro. ever have to did you ever have to threaten Dre to tie your shoelaces together and go <laughs> fight in the parking lot across the street? <laughs> Not, no, we okay. never we never got that far, but I'll tell you what, I didn't like uh, traveling with Dre was was a pain in the ass. <laughs> Dre snores like nobody's business, dude. Like we were coming, like we would do LA, right? So once we got our contract with MTV, had us doing other stuff with MTV, they we'd fly to LA and you know, they took us out of the studio. So we would go do too short and right. you know, do this and do that. And at first, you know, when you're doing that, is let's put you two guys together in one room. Yeah. Then later on, you start realizing, like, listen, I need my own space. I need oh, my yeah. own room. I'm not sitting in the room with Dre because I can't get any sleep because he snores like crazy. <laughs> and then, it, you know, then it becomes, okay, we're going to fly you guys coach. So then you got to fight for first class. You know, yeah. like, that's a six-hour flight. I'm yeah. tall. I'm not sitting in coach for six hours. Yeah. So I'm in first class with Dre. We're going to, <laughs> we're going to L.A. <laughs> and we're coming back from L.A. on a red eye, from L.A. back to New York City. And um, I always had this thing with those big planes that if I could get those four seats, like it's the real empty plane, and I could get four seats, I'm good. I'm going to go back there. I'm going to lay down, and I'm going to sleep the entire flight yeah. back across four seats. And I'm back there like on a 747. So one of those big planes, it might have been a 767, and I feel a tap on my shoulder. And I wake up, I look up, and it's the flight attendant, and I can hear Dre snoring from first class. <laughs> snoring. And she asked me, is that your friend up there? And I'm like, yeah. She says, 
he's disturbing other passengers. Is there something you can do about it? I'm like, I why do you think I'm back here? Like, he's killing me right now. Yo, so he's murdering me. Yo, so uh, do you shit. remember? Do you remember any of the first guests they put in there with you? Because that must have they been... wouldn't let us have guests for a long time. I think if one of our First, I know we had Mel Gibson on because he was in that studio doing something. And I think the very... That was Carol not what King I expected. Carol King was our very first guest when you are on TV, right? <laughs> no! That's yeah. the illest trivia question of all time. No. Yeah. She was. Because she just happened to be in the studio. And there was always this thing where they don't want to bother this person and they don't want to yeah. bother her. And Dre, it was me and Dre or just, you know, go down there and say, hey, we're a fan of your music. We got this little show that we're doing, would you stop in for a minute and put a chair yeah. there for her and, you know, ask her what she know about hip-hop, who her favorite hip-hop artist was, songs that she wrote for other people. We knew who Carol King was because we both come from from the background of music. So she was yeah, out there first. That's the thing about MTV. They used to be, MTV, I, I was there for a couple of years too, and they weren't like radio where you could like kind of just freestyle. They had all these rules and regulations. And I was like, right. how about I just go ask the person? Because they're like, well, they don't fit the genre. I said, they don't have to be a rapper to be on the show. Exactly. They just might be a fan of hip-hop. And they can tell That's their right. favorite hip-hop moment. And we have a great moment. And if it doesn't work, we don't use it. Like, we're taping it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly how they were. That's how a lot of the guests came. That's how we had Bill Cosby. That's how we had Bobby Brown at the height of his career when he was 10 million in. It was my personal relationship. Right. With Bobby Brown. They got Bobby Brown on. They well, what did, get what did, Bobby Brown. What did Bill Cosby have to say? Because he was never known as a as a as a big hip hop fan. Well, he called me. He he called MTV looking for me. Wow. Hold on. You have an I'd like to talk to you story. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a I have that Bill Cosby story. They called me and uh Ted called me at home. And he was like, yo, somebody from the Cosby show just called here looking for you. And they left the number. I think you need to call them back. And I was like, oh, damn. You know, I'm a fan. I was a fan of Bill Cosby from his, his clean comedy albums, from Fat Albert, from I Spy. Hey, come on, everything, to, bro. You know, to everything, the Jell-O pudding commercial. Oh, uh, Uptown Saturday Night. Uptown Saturday Night, a come piece on, of the man. action. Let's do it again. Bill Cosby, man. I loved Bill Cosby. And then when I before I called back, I remember in my, I was in my apartment in Jersey City. I remember Eddie Murphy saying, "Bill Cosby only calls you for two reasons, right? <laughs> Either he wants to tell you that you're great, or he thinks that you are embarrassing the black culture, and he wants to tell you about it." <laughs> so you know, we had did we had did, we had did a lot of characters on the show. So I'm nervous about calling Bill Cosby back. So I called back to. Uh, the Silver Cup Studios to the Cosby Show, and I'd say, "Hey, my name is Ed Lover from MTV, and somebody from here called me." And the young lady goes, "Yeah, Mr. Cosby, want to talk to you? Hold on." And I'm like, "There's no way Bill Cosby is getting ready to get on this phone." <laughs> and the next voice I heard on the phone was Bill Cosby. Ed, hello, how are you? This is Bill Cosby. Wow. And he goes in and he starts talking to me and I go, yes, Mr. Cosby. He goes, no, call me Bill. Call me Bill. No, call me Bill. He goes, listen, my daughter is a big rap fan and she's in my dressing room and I'm watching this yo rap thing that you guys are doing and you're doing this character and you got 
like the hunting hat on and the glasses with the tape in the middle of them, Jack. And I said, yeah, it's a character that I do called Perry J. Periwinkle III. He's like, yeah, and I'm watching the thing and I'm waiting. I'm like, he's getting ready to kill me right now. He goes, man, I was cracking up. That was so funny. I'm watching the thing and you're on the floor and you're up and you're dancing and you're doing this. And he's like, listen, my daughter loves that show. How about I come and do something on that show and then I'll have you on my show? And I'm what? What? Like you want to come? This is an eighty. This is an eighties version of a DM. <laughs> a, a crazy DM. I mean, insane. Yeah, crazy DM. From the guy the with guy. the number one show in the world at Bro, that time. Our, one of our heroes, like right, the Cosby Show. I mean, he filthied it up now, but, but we're talking this is, back then. this is an era that. when you can't even really put into words how big this man was on television. No way to describe Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So now, why would you want to do your show? Yeah, we set it up for Bill Cosby to come and do a week worth of your TV rats with us, and we set it up for the day. And every big wig from Viacom, of course, came down. Of course, the only person that didn't come down was Summer Redstone himself. Okay, everybody yeah. else came down for Bill Cosby. It had the green room cleared out. They're trying to figure he's, you know, this guy's giving 20, 30 million dollars to, to Temple. Like, he's rolling yeah. in the dope. So you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Everybody's cleared everything out for Bill Cosby to come. And we're standing in the front, and he gets out of a yellow cab by himself with a newspaper on his arm. Wow. And just walks in, and everybody's on set. And everybody's watching and, and doing this thing. He turns to me and he says, when you guys usually do this, how many people are out here? I said, the cameraman and the, and the floor producer. Yeah. And he goes, wait a minute. He stops everything. He goes, wait, wait. Everybody, get the fuck out of here right now. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to come and see you guys when it's over. But let's make this as natural as possible the way the guys work. And we did a whole week worth of shows with Bill Cosby. A whole week? He was on every single day for for an entire week. Changed outfits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got. Yeah. Is that one of that's still on YouTube? Yeah, he's there. He was there, man. For we did a week worth of shows with him, and I did wow. the character that I he loves and everything. This. Well, the hard part is Viacom has such a weird, bad relationship with YouTube. Oh, that's right. That that's finding right. things like the, I'm looking right now, there are random clips of Yom TV raps. But you can't really find nearly as much as you should be able to find because the Viacom YouTube thing has always been weird. It's I, I don't know. Yeah. It's a it's a pain in the ass. So did you keep a relationship with him after that? Well, I did the Cosby show. I did the Cosby show twice. What'd you do on the, on the Cosby show? Yeah, I played a, I played the first time I came, I played a cab driver. And um I did the table read with them. I remember being like fascinated by sitting there with Michael Jamal Warner and Felicia Rashad and Bill Cosby. Cause you know, they did, you did, you did table read one day, mm -hmm. then the producers came down and you read again for the producers. Then we was, you know, you would start rehearsal and then they would chop trim. But they did it here. Little, yeah. We did it in Silver Cup Studios in Queens. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, um, I did the show with him and then they gave me the air date of the show. <laughs> And then he called me again. He personally called me. And he was like, I know you thought you was going to be on the show this week, coming next week, but the show ran too long and we edited it and we had to edit your part out. But wow. believe me, I will have you back. And I was just thankful for the experience. And in my head, I'm going, he's full of shit. He ain't going to have me back. Two weeks later, I'm back on the Cosby show. So now I'm sitting there 
and he's got me and he's gone. We want, you know, he introduces everybody. Everybody come back and he goes, and we brought back Ed Lover and everybody's clapping. He's like, Ed, there's no way you're going to get cut this time. You're playing, you're playing a doctor. And I go, oh, he goes, no, you're a cab driver again. But he had me, so I was, but he had me so entwined. My, my part was entwined in the story that it couldn't have got cut out. Right, right. Yo, that is yeah, crazy. That is crazy. So, um, how did you start? How did you start to get comfortable being in this celebrity world and then interviewing artists who I'm guessing you were a huge fan of, and they're treating you now all of a sudden within a couple of years? You know, it's not like you have some long history in radio. It's not like you have you were a rapper. Radio this, came at, right. Radio, radio came later. Came after exactly. Yeah. So like so like for me, for example, by the time I got to a place where it became normal for me to interact with artists, I'd spent years kind of working my way there. You sort of in the blink of an eye. Now you're the man they're watching on TV, and rappers want to come sit with you. Right. That well, must be crazy. Every day is powerful, like man. You said, like you guys just said. I think what separated me and Dre from a lot of other people were we're fans. So right. for everybody to come on the set, you know, it was good for them. MTV is, is a worldwide thing. Your MTV Raps was a worldwide show. So they got exposure all over the world and not just the United States. It was the fact that I cannot believe I'm getting ready to meet Public Enemy. I'm right. getting ready to meet Kane. I'm getting ready to meet Heavy D. I'm getting ready to meet KRS-One. I'm getting ready to meet Light. I'm getting ready to meet Yo-Yo. I'm getting ready to meet Ice Cube. I'm getting ready to meet mm -hmm. Easy. I'm getting ready to meet Too Short. For me, from I was a fan. So it was yeah. never like, I, it was approached to me like they were fans. I was always a fan of theirs. That's the same thing that happened to us, Rosenberg. What? We were fans, man. Yeah, I mean. We were fans. When, we, when, when somebody was coming to our show, we were so happy. Yeah, it's, right. It means it, it. It obviously it, it hits different when you're when you're a fan. Like in it, it, to this day, if I interview someone who a label's pushing, but you don't know them, you try your best right. to do the research, and it's cool. But it's not the same as when an icon, someone who you already are a fan of, walks in. It's so easy to do the job when you already love what they do. That's right. And so, um, so at what point during this process? Because there's a lot to get to. There's an album. There's a movie, there's radio shows. Um, all of these things unfolded. What what was the order of things that started to happen for you and Dre? Your on TV Rides 89, 93, Steve Smith flips Hot 97 to the first all-hip-hop radio station on the FM in New York and comes to us to do the morning show. Put Lisa with us because Lisa's a radio veteran. Right. Right? Dre had experience in the radio. We had already been doing, like, the operating room on BLS at like some weekend week week weekends on BLS. So you've been filling in. You've been doing. filling in on BLS. Yeah, we had the operating room. You know, Dr. Dre and Ed Love's operating room, stuff like that. Funny thing about that, I used to play. I used to have an hour playing reggae on on Saturday nights on on BLS. Oh wow, I did not know that. Yeah, during that during that time, and you guys, you guys would come. You'd like come on after Marley. Going. Huh? Would you guys come on after Marley? We came on. I don't think Marley was there anymore when we when we came on. Wow. Okay. Was Chuck there? Yeah. No. BLS was, was doing David that fight Levy between... there. Huh? Well, David Levy was Kiss. David Levy was Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we did that. I did that for a little while, and then it was so much critique coming from the program director at the time. I was just like, this ain't even worth my time if you're gonna keep continually telling me what I can and cannot do. So I left it alone. 
And Dre and T Money kept doing it for a while. So 93 was hot 97. And then, yeah, and then uh, 93 actually was the same year that. Who's the man, too, right? Yeah, Who's the Man came out. Yeah. So, so it all started just like coming right behind each other. We did Who's the Man in 91, 92, and then it came out in 93. How, how cr- what, a, what a life! I know how. <laughs> how do you go from in nineteen eighty eight, early eighty eight, you're just working for the public schools, and in nineteen ninety one into ninety two, you're working on a movie. Yeah, movie. Start, well, and by the way, this show. this should be noted because I think there are probably some people out there listening that we take for granted that they all understand who's the man, who's the man. We often refer to the soundtrack now, but what, what listeners have to understand is the conversation around who's the man was, yo, Ed and Dre have a movie, and every rapper is in the movie. Every rapper's in the movie. That was the whole hook of... In who, New York, too. Who's the man? Right. right. In New York. It wasn't an L.A. movie. You know what I mean? Right. That my, Our thought process behind that, where Dre and I collaborated on that heavy, was the old Burt Reynolds gumball rally movies when you didn't know which star you was going to see and they was traveling across yeah. country for some cash prize and then it would be anybody from Twiggy to yeah, yeah, yeah. you know Dom DeLuise or whoever whoever was hot at the time so it was like yo we're going to make this movie that we need to put our people in the movie right so but like but like cuz you got like house party kid and play and like i i'm i'm sure they shot that in LA you know what I mean? And it's like, they don't ever really say where it is in the movie, where it takes place, but we know your movie was in New York. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, New in York Harlem. was your backdrop. Yeah, yeah, because we from New York. So we was like, we gotta do we gotta do this this New York movie. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like uh, somebody came to us and said, hey, you know, you guys are kid and player, you're Ed and Dre. I have this movie idea. Let's do this movie. That was something Dre and I came up with. So if you right. watch it, you see it's a story by Dr. Dre and that lover. Right, right, we right. came up with that. I came to Dre and was like, what do you think if we did a movie when we did this, that, and the third? And Dre was like, yeah, that'd be crazy. So let's do this and let's do that. And, you know, let's let's find oil in Harlem and all, you know, so that's what, and then it developed from that with our manager at the time, Charles Stetler, and brought in, went to New Line and got the deal done and brought Ted in and that was all from us. That wasn't from anybody looking for us. Wow. What what was what was the movie um successful? Like did it do good? It was things? well received. You know what happened with Who's the Man? This is the honest to God's true. Okay. Who's the Man was released on the same weekend as the Rodney King verdict. Wow. I remember that. I remember and that. And we were still and we were still the number one comedy in America that week. I remember that. So I think after the riots and all that crap happened, I think our white fan base kind of just like, I'm scared to go yeah. to the movies. Yeah, you know, there's going to be a lot of black people in the movies. But we did well. It did well. Yeah. Let me. Yeah, let me... I had a movie. I had a movie. It came out 9/11, so I know the feeling. Oh. Yeah, it had the same. I had a starring role. No, no, it's like you weren't. Runs... You were. You definitely weren't huh? a starring role. No, you weren't. No, starring... Puerto Rican runs New York. It wasn't. No, it wasn't... no, I don't remember. I don't recall that at all, actually. Um, here we go. Here, here's the cast. I'm gonna go go over the. Here are the people that in this movie. Dre and Ed get first listing, of course. Okay, then you nice. have um, Salt in the movie. Dennis Leary, Bernie Mac, Terrence Howard, Guru, Ice T, um, Duffy from MTV. Uh, Peppa. Um, Peppa's there too. I, I went over Peppa. 
Pep's yep, there too. Yep. Peppa. Yo, yo. Okay, well, here are the cameos. Be Real, Apache, Bill Bellamy, Bowlegged Lou, Bushwick Bill, Busta Rhymes, Chiali, CL Smooth, Dell, D-Nice, Drez, Eric B, Fab Five, Flavor Flav, Freddie Fox, Heavy D, House of Pain, Humpty Hump, Kid Capri, Criss Cross, KRS, Leaders of the New, Melly Mel, Moni Love, Naughty, wow. Pete Rock, Penny Hardaway, Fife Dog, rest in, rest in Peace, Queen Latifah, Run DMC, Scotty Pippen, there's Peppa, Stretch, um, oh, it looks like it looks like the youngsters and Yo Yo. No, oh. that wasn't the youngsters. It was it was um, crisscross. No, crisscross, but also the youngsters. They were just random kids in the movie. It says, Q, yeah, Q, absolutely. Q, Kuron Goodman. Sure That's Q from the youngsters. Yeah. No, so, how did you get all these people? You asked them. They yeah, want, but that's a, who was safe. What rappers were getting again. asked to do? What rappers were getting asked to do a major motion picture in 1992? Course, but like, well, I gotta, I gotta watch the movie again because where did all these people fit? Different, different scenes, man. We just as we sat with Seth Greenland, who actually wrote the script, we would just fill it in, like you know, okay, we did that person to be good there, that person to be good there. But there was one person that was on that soundtrack that was supposed to be in the movie that at the time was having whatever problems she was having but didn't show up and we wasted a whole day waiting for her to come and that was mary I was, I was about to say it had to be mary had to be she was supposed to sing amazing grace in that movie damn now it was mary M- mary is during the kc trouble mary days yeah mm-hmm. yes. you saw the documentary about mary uh, yes yeah, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal phenomenal bro but i didn't know she i didn't know it was like that back in the day and then that song, that soundtrack was the first Biggie song. That was, yeah. I Party mean, and Bullshit is on the Who's the Man soundtrack. That's, and Mary's You Remind Me. And, and, and Hitting Switches. Hitting switches, switches is on there with Eric Sermon. And, and Don't Sleep. Um, don't Sleep on the um, on the House of Pain Who's the Man either. That, yeah, that, that, that House song of Pain is fire. The House of, the house, yo, house of Pain is fire. Because I when, <laughs> I when I think Who's the Man, I always think about Heavy D. But also, yes. but this joint... Bro, this shit was fire. Yeah. Come on. That's the opening. Wait, what did heavy do again? Right too. That's the opening, right? What did heavy do? Heavy has his own "Who's the Man," which came out at around the same time. But that right. house, that House of Pain one, and also don't forget my favorite song on the whole soundtrack. So if I talk about this song, it feels like very often. Uh, oh, is it not here? It's not on. Yeah, what's next on the menu, Pete Rock and CL Smooth, of course. Yeah, oh, that was yes. a dope record, too. And it and Jodeci had um, Let's Go Through the Motions was on Let's there, Go too. Through the Motions, the too. Motion. Who's the man? Yeah. Who did, who, um, oh, that was, that was uh, Puff on the soundtrack? Yeah, that was that was Uptown. So, yeah. did you did you guys have anything to do with that those parts of the movie, or did y'all just? Yeah, we chose we chose Uptown. Wow, we so... chose Uptown because the late great Andre Harrell gave me the business because he called me and was like, "You a Queens nigga?" You know, it was between Def Jam and Uptown. And he was like, "You a Queens nigga? I know you're gonna get that shit to Russell because Russell just demanded you when I was over there at Rush. So I know you're giving that motherfucking soundtrack to Russell. But guess what? He was like, Def Jam ain't got no motherfucking on beat." And have a, a good soundtrack, you need some R&B. And I was like, you know what, Andre, I'll talk to you later. And I hung up and I told Dre, I said, Dre, 
I think Andre is right, man. You know, Puff was hot. I was like, yo, we should give this to Uptown. You give it to Uptown, let Puff do it. And we gave it to Uptown. How do you remember the first do you remember when you first uh knew of Puff Daddy as a person, at Puffy as a person? Yeah, when he was when he was uh as a dancer. Doing a lot of parties. Yeah, he used to do a lot of parties. He had to, um but he was a dancer. He was mostly a dancer. He was dancing in, in um Dougie's videos mm -hmm. and a couple of other videos. You know, because all the dancers know each other. You know, all the Josies yeah, that's a, that's and a crazy teamers. Yeah. And, yeah, that's why I knew Puff. I knew Puff. At, but even at, Onyx was dancers. Yeah. Um, the other, what's the other group? Um, the uh, People don't believe that Onyx had the hot top fade. We used to wear the big pants and the combat boots. And no, all it's that. so crazy how many what's people. What's the other group that Uptown Flex always plays it? Do the Uptown Bounce. Do Ziggy. Uptown Bounce. Ziggy. Ziggy. They yeah. were dancers. Yeah. Yo, it's oh, yeah. When I used to work for Tigger, Tigger always told me Tigger was a dancer in the Sally video for Stetsasonic. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. Yo, a lot of people oh. when you ask them, there's a, there's a I danced in blank video is the first yeah, thing yeah, that yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, did um, well, did you was did you see Biggie at all during the uh when that around the time that record came out? I'm sure you had interactions with him all the way going back then. Right? I had I had interactions with Biggie because Biggie and Stretch and Pac was cool. Mm. And those are my dudes. The stretch was live squad. Like I said, he was signed to he was signed to uh to our label, No Face Records, before we got him signed over there to Tommy Boy. Um, and those are my guys, and they all met because remember I had a blink and you miss me cameo and juice standing behind Queen Latifah. I ain't have no mm -hmm. words at the DJ no, battle. In the DJ battle. I remember it. Yeah, I was standing there. Yeah. So that's when we met. Really knew Pac. We knew Pac from DU, from Digital Underground. But when he was a roadie. But when we really concretely started messing with Pac is around the juice when they were doing juice. And him and Stretch kicked it off. You know, they had music in common and weed in common and whatever, whatever. And, and, and Big, Tretch, and then that's they where Stretch got cool with Pac too, right? Huh? That's where Tretch got cool with Pac too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Tretch, you know, they, I was living in Jersey at the time, so I knew Tretch and them through Latifah. And it's just different networks of people. So you would see Big because Big would be around sometime. It's, it, it must be so weird. I think, like, the, the more people did it, in some ways, it's like the Biggie and Tupac stories are almost too connected. And, like, it's annoying how much people can't tell one story without telling the other. And then, in another sense, it's almost underrated how insane it is. That like someone like you, your 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 thoughts about Biggie the first time are associated with Tupac. Yeah, absolutely. Because when 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 we hung with Pac, because you remember Live Squad was my baby. That was my group. Those are my dudes that I took off the streets because they wanted to rap. Those are my guys. So whenever me and Stretch were around together and Pac would come into town, it was like, yo, Pac is here. I'm getting ready to pick him up from the airport. And we'd be like, bet. Let's go. And we might get in the car. And Pac was like, yo, yo, big page me. Let's hit Brooklyn. And we would be in Brooklyn with Biggie and them. And this is like, you know, party and bullshit that came out already. It was like that was that synergy between them dudes. Them dudes actually had a lot of love for each other. A lot of love. Who, who else was in Live Squad? I was here. It was, it was Stretch, his brother Madge, and then DJ Kalo. And Stretch was killed. Yeah, Stretch was killed a year to the day after the quad shooting. 
Right. Wow. Wow. Um, I think I've only heard Stretch one time on like a Stretch Armstrong, coincidentally. Oh, that's oh. crazy. And he did a lot. They did a lot of production, too. Mm. But they got signed to Tommy Boy, and they got one of the greatest long-form videos ever, man. Game of Survival. And then the whole thing crashed down with Cop Killer and Ice-T and all of that because they killed they they killed the cop in one of their videos, too. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Hold on, I'm, I'm looking at something. Oh, right I, oh, I thought you were going to say in real life. No, they killed the cop in one of their videos because they were oh. They were, you know, they. I had such a hand in what they were doing. I was like, we're not just going to do something to do it. You got to explain why you why you this way. So one of their songs is called Murderer, and it's it explains coming from being a kid that parents get killed, why you stop caring and start doing hits, and it's all coming from the mind of a murderer. So, you know. They killed the cop and did whatever they had to do in, in one of those songs. Yeah, there you go. Watch that here. I just saw this is on uh this is on YouTube. So this is it. This is the uh Yeah, that's Game of Survival. I'm executive producer of that and, and Tommy Boy spent eight hundred thousand dollars on it. And it's an eight minute video wow. uh eight minute video little story. Yeah. The long form video. Nobody had did it. Wow. I gotta watch this whole thing. I've never seen this. Yeah. Um, now going back to the, uh, going back to the early days of you started to do interviews, do you remember a feeling like, did, did, did the guys at the top of the game, the big daddy canes, the rock Kims, the KRSs, a, did you, let's start here. Did you sense a competition between those guys? Like how, how real is that a thing? We always hear about Kane and rock Kim, who was the man, blah, blah, blah. Did you actually sense that between those main few dudes? Not not when it came to the um, TV raps. No. No, for them, it was the same thing, but on a different level than it was for us. For us, it was, we got the best of the best on here. These are guys that we love. These are guys that we admire. Some of them, especially like Public Enemy, being from Long Island and Dre, those guys, they already had you know a relationship, and Dre passing with some of them on tour, LL run DMC being from my neighborhood. I knew Jay and them personally. It was it was different. But when they were there, it was never that. It was always for them. I'm getting ready to get this MTV exposure. Mm -hmm. And you remember right. MTV never played black videos. So right. your MTV Rides being the first all black video show on MTV, it was for them like, damn, I'm getting ready to get this exposure into neighborhoods that i would never normally get to see my video yeah you know uncle ralph was absolutely oh, the first those. to do it in new york city mm -hmm. but your tv raps gave it that national and then international exposure that they wouldn't the worst time in history is when mtv your tv raps changed its times and then went against video music box and bro, <laughs> you would break your remote control switching back and forth to channel 31 for video music box Again, to, to MTV, but yo, you had those, those, I still have video VHS cassettes of those because I moved to Long Island in 10th grade and I felt so disconnected. I moved to like a white, white, white neighborhood, so all I had was video music box and you on TV raps, and I would record it every single day and watch it over and over. And I still have the tapes, but you had some of the most iconic 
moments and i don't even knew i don't even know if you knew what you were doing at the time and i'm gonna tell you even how much more iconic you had the technique 1200 setup with a mixer and dre was djing bro i was studying how you set up the turntable because i wanted to get technique 1200s and you would hear i don't know how the audio was set up but you would hear the click of the mixer like it was so real like nowadays <laughs> Nowadays, they would filter that out. They would edit it. Right. Set up the audio so it would be more professional. Like, it was so raw that you would hear Dre's mixer clicking. You know what I mean? And it was like, mm. this shit is authentic. Yeah, and although it was kind of goofy, you guys were goofy, but it was so real. You know what I mean? Right. It was like, it was corner goofy. Yeah, it, it was, was us being goofy. us, man. That's all it was. But the tribe one, the naughty one. Black Sheep, Public Enemy. There's some fucking real moments on there. And it was every day. Yeah, yeah and especially on Fridays when we finally got around to doing live Fridays. Yeah. When we have the performances and the artists come in and perform. Those are some of my favorite moments on Young TV Raps. Man, Besides the just the rhyme from Young TV Raps is. Right. Let's try this. Hold on. I'm about to try something right now. Let's see. Let's check. Te let's check technology out for a second. See if this. Uh work with us hold up pull up a couple joints here okay here we go see if it'll let us get sound too though back to young tv rap special kung me. fu edition starring the wu-tang clan <laughs> and master woo oh, no. unmute what's up is that for you woo woo oh, for you too sound. let's introduce the wu-tang clan though, right? to you out there whoever yeah, yeah. you hear it you hear it too yeah. Check, I'll be the reservoir. Maybe you shut the fuck up. Heads, protect your neck. I think it was him. Ghostface. Could have been Ghostface. Check yours. Could have been something. This is the juggle, the genius, kid. He's smart. It could have been this one. Yo, Raekwon the chef, kid. Roll up. Cook up some things, dude. You go, a.k.a. Golden Arm Sep, y'all. You can Golden Arm. Like Yo, this is Method Man. Yo, what's wrong with you, man, man? <laughs> this is Method Man. You know what I'm saying? Protect that joint. What does Wu-Tang Clan mean? Somebody who speak up tell us everybody out there, what does Wu-Tang Clan mean? Well, basically, Wu-Tang Clan, the Wu is the way, the Tang is the slang, and the Clan represents the family. Wu-Tang also represents the sword style and rhyming. See, being that we are lyrical or verbal assassins, we are fully aware that the tongue is symbolic to the sword, and when either or in motion, it produces wind. Now, wind comes in different currents. Some are cold, some are warm, and some are very swift and changeable, such as words. And when you enter these 36 chambers of the Wu-Tang, we come in many different currents. You know what I'm saying? Because we're chopping heads. So that's basically what the Wu-Tang represents. Oh, that's a deep, that's very deep, it's man. It's that for me. And where where are the slums? Too. Where are the slums of Shaolin? In China. Basically, yo, the slums of Shaolin is in Staten Island. That's our name for um, Staten Island. In New York. In New York. Yeah, in New York. Funny as hell, man. I remember that that episode vividly because they were not happy about my Master Wu outfit, bro. They they were so serious about trying to get that message about Wu-Tang that, yo, they were pissed when I came out there in the karate outfit. But when Method Man laughed, right when I got up on Method Man, he was like, yo, man, chill. And he laughed. That's kind of broke the ice for the rest of them because right, right. RZA, Raekwon, Ghost, they was all looking at me like they really wanted to murder me on that set for doing that. Because, you know, they was all about Wu-Tang Clan. Ain't nothing to fuck with. It's serious. We the assassins on the microphone. They was not happy about that, bro. It was not. Yeah. Was there ever anyone that when you met them early on, you could tell 
this is definitely going to be something huge. Like or, them, really? Them Greek Fest at Jones Beach. Go ahead, them. keep going. What happened to Greek I, Fest at Jones I was Beach? At Greek Fest, Greek Fest at Jones Beach. They just had a big Greek picnic or whatever you want to call it festival at Jones Beach, and I was on. I'm at at Jones Beach, and I remember walking, and they surrounded me like, and it was like, "Yo, you at Love from your own TV raps, right?" I was like, "Yeah, what's up?" I was like, "They was like, yo, we the Wu Tang Clan, right?" And I was like, "Oh, I know you, 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 you Prince." You Prince Raheem, and they were like, no, it's the RZA, it's the RZA now. And I was like, okay. And it was like, oh, I know the genius, because you were signed to Geffen, mm-hmm. right? Cold chilling, right? He was like, he's like, no, it's the RZA now, yo. We just did this, and we got this break. And they gave me the tape. And on one side of the tape was Protect Your Neck, and on the other side was Met The Man. Mm-hmm. And I remember going back to my car, listening to it, and I was like, yo, this is incredible. Yeah. I just, I just knew it. I just knew that they was and the brat brat is another one. I just knew brat was special. I I knew it. I introduced brat to Jermaine Dupree on the crisscross tour. So wait, oh yeah. So okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Tours, <laughs> tours. How many different tours were you a part of? The, um, well, some of the Def Jam tours, but crisscross. So what was the situation? Jermaine, so take us through that. What was that tour? Who was on it? And what did you guys do? Crisscross, MC Light, different artists, but it was supposed to be the far side. Okay. MC Light and Crisscross. And they were at Westbury Music Fair, and I was hosting it. Dre couldn't do it for some reason. So I did it by myself. And far side Wait, was Sorry, dumb. pause one second. Which one of you motherfuckers has somebody being domesticated in the house washing dishes? <laughs> that's I think that's Ed. That wasn't me. Oh, right now that's my mother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah, it's but, a uh, Sunday, man. People are doing dishes. Like, tell her to stop clacking I'm the dishes. <laughs> yeah. No, no, she's good. She's good. All right, so keep going. Oh. No, I just so I'm on. Say. I'm hosting the tour at Westbury Music Fair. Far side is ridiculously late. Stupid late. So late that they kind of... How late were they? They were late. (laughs) They missed the opening slot. So Jermaine's father, Mike Malden, asked me, could I waste some time? Right? And I was like, yeah, I can waste some time. I got a couple of things that I can do. I can do a rap battle, and I could do an Ed Lover dance. I was about to say, was the Ed Lover dance already cracking at this point? That's already ready to go. Everybody knew the Ed Lover dance. So, yeah, that's what I did. I wasted some time, and I messed with the crowd, and I had Kids come up and do a rap battle, kind of like the Apollo, and I gave him a hundred dollars. Were you just at the show, or you yeah, were, just at the show? You were I, just I there. gave him a hundred dollars out of my own pocket, and then I had an Ed Lover dance contest and gave the winner of that like an Apollo. Put your hand over their head and yell for who you think. Yeah, and then when that was over, they kind of like they kicked the fox out off the tour. It was like, Yo, Ed, do you want to come on tour with us and do the same thing wow. that you've been doing on the on the tour? And we had wow. did down with MTV. So I grabbed Todd one, and I grabbed my DJ, and we went on tour with Chris Cross. That's crazy. How long were you out for? Oh God, I was on two different tours with Chris Cross. So it was it was a lot of fun being on on tour with Chris Cross. A whole lot. So you were of like fun. the host of the tour, kind of. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you bring out all the acts? I brought out yeah, pretty much. No, but Chris Cross, you didn't bring them out. I brought out light. It was me, and then I would come back and introduce MC Light, 
and then crisscross had their own opening with the screens like they right, huge right. At, you know they huge they got the elevated platforms yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. all of this stuff going on they they, they huge that that by crazy. the way that's a, i gotta tell you it's like hip-hop history now there's so much that sometimes there are things you don't even quite talk about enough Crisscross is almost one of them. Like it was so big, and it doesn't get talked about that much now, for how big a phenomenon the song "Jump" was. For, yes, for everyone under the age of like eighteen, we're talking about. I don't know if there's ever been a bigger rap song among kids ever than "Jump." No, I don't think that. Yo, think my they kids listen to "Jump" now because there's this, there's this, there's this thing called "Go Noodle." Okay. Which is like a like a kids platform. Okay. But they'll take like hip hop songs and they'll like kitty them out a little. Right. So they have like House of Pain jump around and they have crisscross jump and they and my kids are watching it and the and my and my daughter and I'm singing the song. My daughter's like, How you know this song, Daddy? I'm like, this song is from when I was a kid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They went they went they went a few times platinum on that album too. Yeah. So you got to think of they, all the kids knew pretty much every song that they had out. I missed the bus, you know, or every, every freaking song. So I, every the Super song. Cat remix. I was, well, the Supercat remix. And then later, I, I must always mention this whenever I can, how underrated this is. Tonight, tonight. Oh, that That's the Supercat. Yeah. All time, all time, everything. Yo, this was a fire yeah, record. It's funny. It's it's funny because like the the story gets told in a way. It feels like it was this quick blip. It was just a jump, but it's like nah. It went on for a while. Like it was. It went on for a good while. It was warm it up. There was Mr. Right. Bus. There, there's Even tonight's right. the night on the next album. Tonight's the night. There's all, all right. Like they had a lot of joints, man. That, I mean, you know what the thing about it is that it it made Jermaine's career, and then Jermaine is the one that kept going on and on and on. Right. Because then Chris Cross right. grew up, which is a problem with we have with child stars and child actors. Once they grow up a little, it's like how do you you know Michael Jackson figured it out, but a lot of people didn't. Yeah. Speaking of Michael Jackson, you definitely met Michael Jackson before, didn't you? Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. I always ask everyone, Absolutely. what's the Michael with, Jackson with, story? With with crisscross. Okay. So what what, when, where? Take us through it. Okay, hold on, Saif. We gotta stop Ed because he's given up. No, two, no, 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 no. No, we have I to hear more. Well, you can I hear more. No, we can, but you gotta sign up for Patreon. That's how it works. Oh shit! I mean, listen. We gave we're giving you some of his stories about the greats, but he's got so many more. Like what? What Billy June? Almost another hour's worth. So yeah, basically. So Patreon.com/slash One Up Is Life for nearly another hour with Ed Lover telling the stories of everybody in hip hop. But we love you. We love you. If you're not Patreon, we just love you even more if you are. Let me, tell, let me give you one tidbit before you go over to Patreon. You know, last week we had Mr. C on. Sure, he's uh, a great guy. Verses. So Mr. C wanted to hear something, part of the interview. And I said, yeah, no problem. Uh, just hit up Billy June. He'll get you anything you need. And Mr. C said, the most beautiful classic line, who's Billy June? Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I laughed hysterically. 
Wow. Did you tell him him who his uh, father is? I did. And he goes, oh, I know Billy. I know Billy. And did you say... did Remember you... the scrawny little redhead motherfucker with glasses that used to be around hanging out? Right. And he goes, he goes, wasn't his name Dan or something? I go, yeah, that's his that's his slave name. His real name is Billy June. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you on Patreon, kids. Bye.